be seated. As have you find your seat, if you want to look in your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. This morning we're going to do part three of a sermon series entitled Loving the Hell Out of Our Community. I was originally just going to do two weeks of this, but really in light of all the events around us and the Holy Spirit working in my life, uh, that we called an audible uh, midweek and uh, said, you know, I really feel like God is calling me to have two more weeks, so we'll be here uh, this week and look at this familiar story, this Good Samaritan story will be in uh, the series again next week. It's so important of all that's going on that we hear from our God. How does He want us to respond to this? The reality is this. One of our core values at King's Chapel, and I'm so excited about is being community-driven. We say, hey, we want to be gospel-centered. We want to be kingdom-focused. We want to be spirit-empowered. But we want to be community-driven. And with that, there's really, it's kind of two hands to this. There's two sides of being community-driven. The first one is this, that we are a community of God. We are a church, and we're to lock arms. Uh, We are to be together and share life together, as we talked about last week from Hebrews 10, that we should gather to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So part of being community is that we have our, our hands locked together. But part of it being a community, part of it being a church, is we are here to be the light of the world. We are here to reach our community. And so that's a core value that we, we gather together to, to hang on to one another, but to spur one another on to go and to love our neighborhood, to love our neighbors, being connected in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, it's for the glory of our great God. We are one in Christ. Why? For the good of our neighbor. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. But how do we love our neighbor? Is that not a question right now? I mean, how do we love our neighbor? And who exactly is our neighbor. And right now, that seems to be a hotbed discussion of whose lives matter most and how do we love uh, those who are different than us. The question is, whom do we listen? There's a lot of people talking. Who do we listen to? Where do we go when we want to know how do we love our neighbor? You know the answer, right? Here it is. You guys remember that I had the song a couple weeks ago? Keep playing it, Chris. And some of you were texting me all week saying, I can't stop singing this song. We got a new song for you. Here you go. Come on, it's a long intro. Where's that intro? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood. A neighborly day for You're going to be it all day. Would you be mine? Won't Could you be, be mine? mine? All right, let's I cut it. That's good. I played that one long enough. For over 25 years, Rollins graduate Fred Rogers, a uh, ordained Presbyterian minister on PBS, taught us what it meant to be a neighbor, what it meant to be a good neighbor. How many of you, and again, I'm going to kind of cut the congregation here by age, how many of you have ever watched an episode of good old Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Do you know that his sweater hangs in the Smithsonian Institute? I mean, that's an icon. It's an icon in our culture. And for such a long time, he would do a marvelous job, teach us what it means to love and to be a good neighbor. But long before 1968, before Mr. Rogers debuted on PBS, Luke, Luke penned the gospel 
of Luke and the Good Samaritan story that many of us are familiar with that has taught millions and continues to teach, and may he teach us today, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And really, it's the gospel. This is where we look to say, how do we love in a way that loves the hell out of our community? How do we love in a way that brings hope and healing in the midst of all despair? God, show us. Show us who our neighbor is. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So this morning, as we look at this incredible text, we're going to have like three things to help us unpack it. We're going to see the scene that is painted in Luke 10. It's really important for the context for us to understand the scene. We're going to hear the story, a familiar story of the Good Samaritan. And then we're going to hear the exhortation. We don't want to miss this because this has got a so what to it. This is more than just, hey, see the scene, understand the story. But listen, be responding to this reality in the story. So we're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 10. But as we do look at the scene, the story, and the exhortations, one other thing I want to challenge you with today is this. In this story, it really is kind of uh, focuses around one's ability to see. You're going to hear the word see throughout the story. But here's what I want to challenge you to is even you hear the story. Ask yourself, where do you see yourself in the story? Okay? So as I read God's Word, what I want you to do is I want you to follow along and say, okay, who do I relate to? Who in this story do I see myself as? And so we are going to be in Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25, reading through 37. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. And behold, a lawyer. Some of your translations might say certain lawyer. I think that's a better translation. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up to put him to test, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he's putting to test Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance... A, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he joined, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, his own donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is a day's wage, two days' wages, and gave to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a, man, or a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said to them, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. 
Oh, Father God, thank you for the wisdom of your Son. When challenged by a teacher of the law, when tested, God, I thank you for the way he responded. When one was stood before him wanting to justify himself, I thank you for this amazing story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. God, probably everybody in this room and everybody online probably knows something of this story. But God, would you come with power and would you speak through a a broken sinner like me so that we can hear and see this story like never before? Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? And God, would you give us minds to understand your will? And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see ourselves rightly in this story. That God, you give us hearts that would embrace your love and your truth and And God, you give us feet that are empowered by your name so that we could do that which Jesus has commanded us to do. You go, and you do the same. And God, would you allow us to do that for the glory of you, our great God? Would you empower us to do that for the good of our neighbor? God, come and be teacher. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like the ultimate good Samaritan, your Son, our Savior? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. Okay, the first thing you've got to see is the scene, the context of the scene. So you have have Jesus and you have somebody who's going to come and it's going to challenge him. And the one who's going to challenge him by testing him is going to be a teacher of the law, the the teacher of Torah. Um, And he's going to uh, tell him this story. It's a story that we're all familiar with, this good Samaritan under the story. But really, let us make sure we get the context first, that scene. Because seeing is going to be so important for us to understand this story. It starts off with this word, certain lawyer. This certain lawyer stands up, wants to test him. Ask him questions. He's going to ask two bogus questions. Two, two terrible questions. And Jesus is going to turn around and ask some questions of his own. He's going to ask the first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now listen. He wasn't asking this question because he cared. He wasn't asking this question because he wanted to submit to Jesus' teaching. Do you know he asked this question for a, a, an evil reason? To test him. To see who this Jesus really was. And then he's going to ask another question. Who is my neighbor? And I love what the Gospel of Luke tells us. Why do he ask who is my neighbor? He's basically justifying himself. You know what he asks when he says, who is my neighbor? I'm going to get to it in a minute. He's basically saying, what lives matter? What neighbors matter? Who do I have to love? Who do I don't have to love? So you see this lawyer, he had a lot of knowledge. He knew God's law. He had knowing without really understanding. He knew something of God's word. When when Jesus asked him, hey, how how do you see the law? By the way, how wise of Jesus. He's going to ask a lawyer, how do you see the law? Does not any lawyer want to tell you exactly how they see the law and charge you an arm and a leg for their thoughts, right? So he's going to ask him a question. "How, How do you read this? And he's going to answer with a pretty orthodox answer. He's going to answer him by repeating what's known in the Hebrew as a Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. 
uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors as yourself. He see, he knew something of Jesus, but he didn't understand who Jesus really was. He called him teacher, rabbi. He didn't call him master. He didn't call him savior. He didn't realize this is the God of the universe, God in flesh. He thought this was just another teacher with certain different kinds of teaching. And listen, the reality is this. You don't come to Jesus and test him. This is God's Savior. You come and you submit to him. You come and you lay your life down before him. And yet, he didn't know. He knew something of Scripture, but he didn't really understand them. He, he didn't understand the gospel in them. He asked a terrible question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Throughout Scripture, you receive life not in what you do, not in your works. In the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4 says the righteous should live by faith. In the New Testament, it's so clear that Paul will say in Ephesians 2 that, that we are saved by God's grace through faith, not in works, so no one can boast. So, so how do you get life? I mean, you don't work for it. You believe. Uh, what was, what's the work we must do? I love what Jesus says in John chapter 6 when they ask him a similar question. What is the work we must do to really live? He says, here's the work you must do. Believe. Believe in the reality of who I am. Believe in the reality that I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to become the curse. I have come to give you life and life abundantly. It's not what you do, Jesus would say. It's what I do. And your response is to believe in me. Do this. Love God, love neighbor, and live. Now, now the question is, it's really interesting. Why did Jesus ask him, what do you see in the law? Well, he takes the law. Jesus does this throughout the gospel. Here's what he does. Jesus knows that you're not saved by keeping the law. None of us can do it. But he uses the law, Torah, like a mirror. So he says to the guy, okay, how do you see it? How, what are you supposed to do? I'm supposed to love God with everything I got. And I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself. Do you know what the right response would be? God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. The truth is this, is I have never loved the Lord my God with all my whole mind, soul, strength, and might. Ever once. I don't love my neighbor as myself. Jesus points him to the law to point him to the reality that he's a sinner. But he's so self-righteous. He thinks that he knows so much. See, he's so religious. Oh, yeah, I, I've kept it. Whatever. I mean, I mean, he had such a, a wrong view of his own righteousness, such a low view of God's holiness, that somehow he thought he was justified, that he could do it. And again, you don't inherit eternal life. It's not a birthright. It's a gift. And it comes from the only begotten Son. The lawyer completely missed the response. He completely missed it in his own self-righteousness. And then he goes on to try to justify himself, which we should never do before God and the law. And he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Wow. Talk about really having knowledge without any understanding. And asking that question is it's so loaded. He has loving without doing in verse 29. This certain lawyer wanted to justify himself. He's standing up to the one who is the only one who's just. He's standing next to the one who's both the just and the justifier, and he wants to justify himself by saying, listen, who is my neighbor? He tries to lessen God's commandments. He wants the lowest common denominator. You know what he's saying? Whom do I don't have to love? Point out the ones that i got to love. 
and make sure I know the ones I don't have to love. Because really, that's what matters most to me. What neighbor's life matter? Whose lives matter? That's what he was asking. Boy, that's a question being asked today, isn't it? Whose lives matter? The truth is, you're probably like me. I tend to love the ones who are like me. I tend to like the ones who like me. I tend to hang with those. But that's not who God is. I I love God's Word. It says this, that God would demonstrate, listen to this, God would demonstrate His own love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies with God, He sent His Son to rescue us. He loves us. He crossed the line. God loves those who aren't like Him. Ephesians 2.3 would say that we, by nature, were children of wrath. By nature, we're not very lovable. And you know what? We think we are. We think that somehow God Almighty, He should just love us because look at how great we are. Come on. We're broken sinners. Apart from Him, we're just sheep that wander and junk, jump and our neighbors junk. And the poo that's all around us. But God loves us. It's incredible. God's Word says that I love those from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Here's the reality. Different colors, different races, different people, they are beautiful in His sight. And He's going to draw to Himself. And I, and I love the fact that at the end of the story, we don't all become this one homogenous family that looks the same. We look different. And it's beautiful. Because that's who God loves. And what is it saying to us? As Christians, are you a believer in Christ Jesus? You follow Him, the one who loves you? You must love the Jew. You must love the Gentile. You must love male and female, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, Muslim, Mormon. All right, now we're going to start. I'm going to meddle with you right now. Got to love Democrats. Got to love Republicans. Got to love Independents. You got to love those who are black and white and anywhere in between. That's God's law. That's God's love. We've got to love the same way. See, the point of the Good Samaritan story, which I love, is that we're to care for and love our neighbor. And this neighbor, this, is, this, is, this neighbor is unrecognizable. The beauty of Jesus' story and the wisdom of God says, let me tell you about, he says this, a certain man. I'm not going to tell you who he is. I'm not going to tell you if he's a Jew. I'm not going to tell you if he's a Gentile. I'm not going to tell you where he comes from. Here's what I'm going to tell you about this man. He was stripped and beaten. So guess what? Stripped and beaten. Guess what? There's no distinguishing clothes. You can't tell. He's beaten half senseless. He's bloody. You can't tell. You don't know who this certain man is. And Jesus is brilliant. He's going to tell the story, basically say, this is the certain one. And You don't know. Love the one who's been beaten beyond recognition. Love this one. You know what it really reminds me? Love this one in need. I did a KC uh, Corner with David Outing a couple of weeks ago, and he's, he's coming July 5th. He's my dear friend, a great preacher, uh, an African-American preacher. And again, we had, a, we had an honest discussion, because he sees life differently than I do as, as a black preacher and a white preacher kind of come together. And, and he really helped me see through things like, his take on Black Lives Matter. And he says, of course we know all lives matter. Of course they do. But right now, this is one we've got to focus on. And I think that Scripture is saying is, who do we need to make sure we focus on and love the one in need? It's a certain one in need. If there's a need, we go. 
God has an undiscriminating love that includes every tribe, tongue, and nation, and so should we. We, listen, you know who should love? The image bearer of God. The image bearer of God. And you are not going to meet one person that isn't the image bearer of God. And I get it. Some aren't lovable. And some live horrible lives. Don't, don't embrace their lifestyle. Some are hateful. On, on both sides of the aisle. I mean, I mean there's, there's racism that goes everywhere, right? And so that's, that's not just true of us. It's true of, of the world out there. And again, we can see behavior and we can see lifestyles and we can start judging. We say, ah, they're not worthy of love. They're not worthy of my response. They, they're not justifying this. And let me just say, stop. If they're an image bearer of God, they have worth. Why? Because our infinite God has worth. And we're to love them. We don't embrace their lifestyle necessarily. We don't want to just become like them. But we've got to love them. Jesus said to love those who persecute you. Love your enemies. And I love the reality of the gospel. Listen, God, listen, God is never going to ask you to do something he doesn't do himself. He has loved the unlovable like us. He has loved his enemies like us. And we are now to respond. You see, there's this story. There's this, in the story of this reality, we see that uh, those who come along the road, uh, those who are seeing without feeling. You have a priest, you have a Levite, and a Samaritan. A priest is somebody who gets paid to be religious. A priest is somebody that is supposed to be caring and loving. A Levite from the tribe, this is the tribe that most helped out with the temple. These are not necessarily the priests, but religious leaders who are supposed to help out. Then you have a Samaritan. And again, I don't, I don't have a time to unpack all of this, but a Samaritan was... A hated race in many ways. Because of Israel's history, Samaria was taken over by the Assyrians. And they took away most of the, the people of influence. They took them into exile. And what remained was, was kind of the uneducated riffraff. And they came in and they brought all of their, their worship practices and all, all of their beliefs into this community of Samaria. And Samaria became a hodgepodge of beliefs. They weren't really Jewish. They weren't really not. They were kind of this in-between, and everybody seemed to dislike them. And the Samaritans were low, low, low. And then you have this Samaritan who would come along, and he was the only one who could see with compassion. He would see with compassion that he would bind up the wounds of one in need. He crossed the street. He poured out oil and wine, and he would put him on his own donkey, bring him to his innkeeper. And, and again, when Scripture says, Two denarii, our eyes roll back and don't mean anything. But let me tell you, that's a day's wage. That's more than just looking in your wallet and throwing a couple bucks in the pot. This is a couple of days' wages. And he's going to say, hey, whatever other help he might need, put it on my tab. When I read this story, I think of working in New York City. Right out of college, I worked in New York City for the first couple of years. And you could tell a New Yorker. You know how you know a New Yorker, a true New Yorker? They don't see anything. A tourist, they're looking around thinking, oh my goodness, look at all this stuff. This is incredible. And I guarantee you, anybody who's going to ask you something from New York, they know, they see you like this. They know, they got a sign on me, ask me for something because I don't belong here. But a New Yorker, you want to see a New Yorker, they stare forward, they don't, it's like things could be exploding around them. You know, they could be stepping over life and the brokenness of life. And somehow, again, this isn't all fair. But I'm telling you, I really did feel like sometimes a New Yorker somehow is like that priest, somehow like that Levite, 
that they could walk right down this aisle, right down the road. Listen, it says they saw him. They saw him, but they don't cross the way. But then you have this true gospel neighboring of the Samaritan that sees and has compassion, that crosses the road. Do you cross the road to help others? Do you use your own resources even when it hurts to help others? Do you sacrifice time and, and money or only when it's convenient? Okay. Who did you relate to in this story? I asked you when we began, who do you relate to? Let's go, let's go back over it. Are you the certain lawyer? Are you that person who stands up to test Jesus and tries to justify yourself? Are you that self-made man or woman? If so... Embrace Christ quickly. <laughs> Imagine looking at your faces. I know most of you that you're probably not that certain lawyer. Are you that priest, that religious leader who's supposed to help but ignore and avoid the poor and the needy? Are you that, that priest? And how many do we see in the churches that judge those in need and decline to help? Why? Because they have deemed they are not worthy of care. Are you like the Levite? Are you a religious person? Are you a religious person who's supposed to help, but you ignore and avoid those in need because you just don't have the time? You just don't have the resources. Are you the Samaritan? The Jesus figure in the story? Are you the one who reads the story and says, you know what? I help people. I cross the street. I show care. Be careful if that's who you thought you were in this story. Because you know who you are? You're the certain man. If you understand Scripture, and you understand the Gospel, and you understand that this story is told by Jesus, the ultimate good Samaritan, you are the one that He came to. You and I are the ones who are dead in our trespasses and sins. You and I are the ones that Jesus would come from, from heaven to earth to seek and to save the lost. We are the ones that He has bandaged up our wounds. He's poured out His own oil and wine of His blood. He has covered us to cleanse us. Jesus is the one who paid our debt, a debt that we couldn't pay and a debt that He didn't owe. Jesus is the one who would gladly tell the Father, I'll take their debt, and by the way, if they messed it up and they kept on screwing up and they kept in put it on my tab, everything. I will cover it all. All the expenses are mine. Jesus is the one who comes to us and looks at us and says, that's my neighbor. That's my friend. That's my brother. You see, the point of this story isn't ultimately that we need to try harder or no more to love and understand. If I told you, hear this story, now try harder to love and understand, don't you think it would be like answering the question, what must we do to inherit eternal life? It's not about what we do to get it. It's about all that Jesus has done to give it. If we look at this story and say, okay, now let's pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and let's be a better church, isn't that trying to justify ourselves? You see, we realize the beauty of the story of what Christ has done, and then he tells us, go and do the same. You know, I, I think the only way we go and do the same is when we see ourselves rightly. When we realize that we've been justified in Christ Jesus. We have the knowledge of the gospel, that he is our Lord and our Savior 
And then he's had compassion on us, and now that compassion oozes out of us. We need these things. Gospel-empowered eyes. Eyes to see with compassion. Only one had gospel-empowered eyes. To know that worthy is the one in need, because they're the image-bearer of God. See that we are that certain man, and we have to love the certain men and women around us. We need to have gospel-empowered lives to go. It's important. Not only see it, we've got to cross the street. This is courage. Courage to cross the street to help others that are different from us. We have to have gospel-empowered love that gives. Gives not a token. But giving when giving even hurts. To the point of true sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. Go and do the same. I love it. The, the Greek here is, is emphatic. You. You. He's kind of thumping this lawyer. You. You go and do the same. And you can feel that on you if you have Christ in your heart. King's Chapel, this is a message for us as a whole. How do we go and do the same? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? We got a good start. I love what we did over Christmas with Wolf Lake Elementary and bringing supplies. I love what we're doing with Orlando Union Rescue Mission by bringing things. That's a small, it's a good start. We have a KC family fund we give to. That's good and important. But what's next for us? Because of your leadership, we, we, we believe this stuff. We really believe that God's calling us to be a good neighbor. We, we believe we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We, we believe we've got to go. We've got to cross the street. And again, the Holy Spirit's going to stir your hearts and say, hey, have we thought about this? God has placed you individually in areas to give, and I see it in this congregation. It's beautiful, but collectively. We're at Orlando Union Rescue Mission because there's members in this congregation who say, hey, by the way, we got a need. Let's get a love it. We're involved with Choices Ministry, Women's Ministry, because there's members in this congregation who say, we've got to support life because we love them. And we as a church have to cross the road and help those in need. It's got to be a part of our DNA. It has to be if we want to be a true church. Not just corporately, but individually. Fred Rogers put on his cardigan sweater and he taught a generation of how to be a good neighbor. Jesus did so much more. He did more than put on a cardigan. God, eternal Jesus, put on flesh and came to show us how to be a good neighbor. How? By being a good neighbor to us. By loving us and pouring his life out for us. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a tangible reminder of the fact that a good Samaritan named Jesus came to love us. Came to set us free. Came to empower us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Drink deeply of the gospel, my brothers and sisters, so that we can give gospel love to those in need. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you have, so tangibly by being our good neighbor. Jesus, by coming and rescuing us, we are that certain man. We had no hope if it wasn't for your grace and mercy. If you didn't see us with the eyes of compassion, we're utterly lost. But you came and you, you bound us up by becoming pierced and broken for us. You poured out your blood so that we could be cleansed and made whole. And God, you robed us in righteousness. You paid a debt that you didn't owe, that we couldn't pay. And you told your Father, whatever else is on their account, charge it to me. 
Oh God, thank You for loving us that deeply and that profoundly. And God, now may we hear the response to go, to cross the street, to go and do the same. For Your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen.